You are listening to Melbourne Lights Church Weekly Podcast. Would you open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 20, please? You know what? When I was a kid, I loved Christmas time for selfish reasons. I always thought about what I was going to get at Christmas or at my birthday. You know, like when you're a kid and you have the list of all the things you want. So I came home the other day and Henry, my lovely now nine-year-old son, was in deep Christmas list mode. He had multiple pieces of paper. He had an iPad. He had a catalog. He was Googling the things that he wanted, writing down the name, the model number, the price, and a website reference so that Santa knew, in case the elves were too busy, where he could go to get the stuff. He did it for about an hour and a half. He was very committed. It was about three pages of lists of things. And I had to say to him, I said, you know, this time of year, Santa's pretty busy. The elves are getting tired. You know, this might have to go on to next year's to-do list. Um, but well done for making a list and being so thorough in it. Can you remember the excitement of being a kid and just thinking about like, what am I going to get? Am I going to get the things on my list? Am I going to get more than what's on my list? Am I going to get less than what's on my list? Everything is about your Christmas list. Now, as an adult, I think more now about what I can give. We still have lists. I'm sure you guys still have lists. But the list of who we're buying for, the list of the different KKs that we're involved in, the list of family members that we're buying for. You know, we've been saving throughout the year so that we can, so that we can buy for other people. To, to be honest, something happens at some point where, uh, I can say honestly, I don't actually really care about what I get on Christmas anymore. You know, if, you know a, a thoughtful card, you know, the, the, you know, being with family, spending time with people that you love, you know, that's what Christmas is about. I care more now about what I'm going to give and the joy that it brings to my kids and family and people around us than what I'm going to get. I think it's a mark of maturity in growing up that we begin to shift from focusing on what we can get to what we can give. We move from thinking about ourselves to thinking about others. And as Christians... It's much more about what I can give than what I can receive. Yes, it's true of Christmas, but Christmas is just a day during the year. As Christians in our lives, one of the marks of maturity is that we move from thinking about what do I get from Jesus to actually what can I give. Yes, the starting point is what I receive. You can't follow Jesus without receiving some things. When you come to Jesus, when I come to Jesus, I receive salvation, the free gift of grace. I receive forgiveness. I receive relationship with God the Creator. I mean, that is outstanding. That is amazing. I receive a new identity. I'm now a child of God. I receive a new inheritance sealed by the Holy Spirit. His presence dwells and lives inside of me. I receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I receive freedom from the bondage of sin. Yes, we receive. All these things are amazing. And we have to lay hold of them. If we haven't received those, then come to Jesus again this morning and receive what he's given to you as a free gift of grace. If we don't get what we get, 
we'll get upset. No, if we don't get what we get, we will never live in relationship with God the way that he intended for us. If we don't receive that, we continually strive for things he's already given us. But as a mature believer, and we want to strive to become more like Christ, we want to press on in his presence to be mature, to reflect who he is. As a mature believer, it becomes more about what I can give than what I receive. I, yes, I lay hold of these things and I live from that new identity, but it doesn't stop there. See, if I always stay at the place of what can I get from God, I end up setting up camp at the cross. And I never grow and I never, never move forward into a place of maturity and impact. The cross is meant to be a door into relationship and impact with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, not a campsite. Now, we talked about this a few weeks ago. I know there's many here who like camping. There's some who don't, myself and Gabby included. Somebody was so gracious that last time I talked about our kids not really going camping, they were so distraught that they called that afternoon and offered to take our kids with them on their camping trip after Christmas just so they could experience camping. Thank you very much. You know who you are. Very thoughtful thought. But the cross is not a campsite. The cross is not where we stop. The cross is an open door, and yes, we receive, but if we set up there and we only ever set camp at what we receive, then we stay immature. Paul says that we're like infants who have to be fed milk and can't eat meat, and that's a sad thing if you're a meat eater and if you're a vegan amongst us, then you can't eat the things that you like to eat. The cross is powerful, but it was never meant to be the stopping place. When you come to the front door of your house, how many of you, when you get home, come to the door and go, this is a great door, open the door and sit down in the doorway? I mean, maybe if it's been one of those weeks and you're just like, ugh, just fall on face first. No, you go through the door into the house. You don't live in the doorway, you live in the house. And that's maturity as a believer. But so many of us have set up camp, we're living in the doorway rather than living in the house. Acts 20, verse 35. It says, in all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. <coughs> Excuse me. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus. How he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Do we believe that, church? It is more blessed to give than to receive. If I asked my nine-year-old son, I don't think he would say he believes it's more blessed to give than to receive. He might say it because he, he knows the right thing to say. But I think deep down in his heart, he would believe that if he got nothing for Christmas, he would not be a blessed son. He'd be sad. Sometimes we say it as believers, oh, it's more blessed to give than to receive. But deep down in your heart, you actually think, no, but if I, didn't get, if I don't get what I want, if God doesn't give me the desires of my heart, then I'm actually not blessed. 
That scripture in Psalm says, those who delight themselves in the Lord will receive the desires of their heart. That's tied up into delighting ourselves in Him. He becomes the desire of our heart. Not if I follow Him and tick the box of church attendance, I'll get what I want. See, God is not Santa Claus. What? He's not Santa. I don't have a problem with talking about Santa. Some people freak out. Oh my gosh, Santa. Santa's based on St. Nicholas. He was a saint. He actually got thrown, this is just a trivia fact for you. St. Nicholas got thrown in prison for three days for punching somebody else in the face at one of the councils because he called them a flaming heretic because they denied the divinity of Christ. That's Santa. He was fiery. He, he was the bishop. He was like, you're a flaming heretic. Punched him in the face. And then they threw him in prison. And then he was like, he repented and said, I should not have responded with physical violence. That wasn't very Christ-like of me. But he's still a flaming heretic. <laughs> That's just trivia for you. John 3.16, one of the most famous scriptures says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God's love motivated him to give. Maturity in the kingdom, maturity in following Jesus, is marked by receiving and living in the finished work of the cross and moving forward, moving through the cross into newfound life and freedom in Christ. It's moving from thinking about myself and thinking about what I can get and what I deserve and what I want and moving to what can I give, what do others need, who can I bless, what can I be a blessing in. What do we have to give? Christmas is the giving season and we, we often give physical gifts. But as believers, we have more than physical gifts to give. Yes, we can give in the natural, and we talked a little bit about that in the past few weeks, and about being a blessing, about going for the least of these, and actually that it is goods and the gospel. Sometimes people need physical help, not just to be blessed and, you know, Jesus bless you. They actually need some food on the table. So there is those things. But we have more than that. What can we give? Firstly, we give the love of Jesus. It's amazing. I mean, it's so easy to preach on this this morning because literally last night we were a people who gave. We gave the love of Jesus. Uh, The the scripture says that the gift makes way for the giver. The the gift of the, the, the music team who has spent time preparing carols opened up people's hearts to receive the gospel and what God wanted to do. The gift of just some prophetic, like just pictures, literally just pictures that were printed nicely. It's just a simple seed that opened up people's hearts for God to speak to them. It's amazing how sometimes just the the seed of a prophetic picture or a thought or asking people like, you know, we we did this activation in our all leaders meeting where it's literally just picturing a table, like a feast, walking into a room and there's a table there, but there's, you know, it's like a feasting table, but there's nothing on it yet. But what do you see that you're bringing to that table? Literally just asking somebody, what do you see God's putting in your hands? And that seed releasing something of the prophetic, and it was profound and powerful what we were able to prophesy over each other. 
We have the love of Jesus to bring. God so loved you and I that he gave his son Jesus. Giving is motivated by love. John 15, verse 9 to 13 says this. As the Father has loved me, this is Jesus speaking, as the Father has, has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Jesus loved us because he knew the Father's love. He goes on to say, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he, someone lay down his life for his friends. Fullness of joy is not found in the lack of opposition. Fullness of joy is not found in the abundance of possessions. Fullness of joy is found in the love of Jesus. I've had the privilege of being able to minister into many countries. And some of the countries that we get to minister to, literally the people have nothing. Yet they are the most joyful people I've ever met. We go to the house. Go and sat in the house and have a meal. The house is this. A room for people to sit in and a room to sleep in. And the room to sleep in, they stand up all the mattresses during the day so that there's room to do other things. And the front room is just a tiled room so you can sit there. Sometimes they have a mat to roll out. Sometimes they don't. You go, well, you know, but what about a TV? And what about a car? And what about a PlayStation? And what about a phone? And what about all the things? And what about a refrigerator? And what about a stove and an oven and a range hood and a silent range hood? Because your range hood can't make noise. Um, what about, like, you know, what about all the things? They don't have any of it. Yet they're full of joy. Why? Because joy is not found in our things. We've been sold a lie in our culture that if we have all the things and all the stuff and all the desires of my heart, then I'll be happy. And you know what happens? You just die with a lot of stuff and you're still desperately miserable. Because joy is found in the love of Jesus. Psalm 36, verse 5 to 7 says, Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Um, man and beast, you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. People need the love of Jesus. People need to experience the love of Jesus. And I have a surprise for you today. You and I can show him that. How do people experience the love of Jesus? Through you and me. It's more blessed to give than to receive. What do people need? What, what, what can we give? Even if you have nothing else, you can give the love of Jesus. It was amazing, honestly, to see people burst into tears. Because someone was willing to take time to pray for them. Louise literally stood next to a lady and just said, grace, grace upon you. And she burst into tears. <laughs> because God, God wants to minister to people. 
We think that we got to stir this thing up and like we got to make something happen and like we just have to be open vessels. For God, God loves the world. That God loves people so much that He sent Jesus. There's refuge, there's shelter, there's comfort, there's security, there's true, true joy in the love of God. When people are going through hardship, yes, sometimes we can meet their, some of their needs, but we can't be their savior. Even if we can meet their needs, even if we can rescue them from a hard situation, they still need Jesus. Ultimately, they need the love of God. But people are desperate to be loved. But can I tell you this morning, the love of a person, the love of a child, the love of a spouse, the love of a family will never fill the place in our lives designed to experience the love of God. I've been married almost, well, it'll be 20 years next year. I can't believe that it's been that long. Literally, you would get less for murder. But I, I do love, I mean, just think about how long that is. Um, I love my wife. <laughs> just letting it hang for a minute. It was dramatic effect. I can tell you honestly that the love of a spouse doesn't fill the place of the love of Jesus. Nothing can fill that spot. There's nothing that can replace it. Every person that, that is addicted to drugs that is addicted to substances, that's addicted to sex, to porn, anything else, needs an encounter with the love of Jesus. You can't fill that place with anything else. We only find real joy in the love of Jesus. Maybe this morning you need to encounter the love of Jesus. You need to be, in, you need to be filled with his love. We receive so we can give we can't give what we haven't received. Lord, even right now, maybe there's people in, the, in this place this morning and we are addicted to some of these things or we have tried to fill that hole with something else. Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name, Lord, would you fill us with your love? Oh, Holy Spirit, we honor you. Fill us afresh. Fill those places, Lord, that we've kept closed off, that we've kept hidden and tried to fill with other things. This morning, right now, Lord, would you come and fill afresh, refresh, Lord, that we could then refresh others. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. What can we give? The love of Jesus. What else can we give? The gospel. We can give the gospel. The gospel of Jesus is a free gift that we can and should freely give to everyone. Imagine walking around with a gift that you never gave to anyone. The gift becomes pointless if it's not given. Imagine someone said, imagine you had $1,000 to give to somebody, but you never gave it to somebody and you could never use it. Is that worth anything? No. Of course not. The gospel is the free gift that we can give to everyone. And it's only useful if we give it. The gospel is this. It's simply 
the news about who Jesus is, what he's done, and how that changes everything for us. It's simple. Who is Jesus? What has he done? And how does that change everything? That's the gospel. You don't have to have an in-depth definition, 15 scriptures. You can, but at, at, its, at, its, at its core, it is simply, who is Jesus? What has he done? And how does that change everything? The gospel of the good news about Jesus is the best and most important news that you will ever hear. It's the most life-changing news that you could ever share with somebody else. If you have nothing else to give, give the love of God and tell them the good news about Jesus. And even if they spit in your face, the seed has been planted. Once you plant that seed, you can't unplant that seed. It's there. Just think about that. I love last night. The 350 people, I don't know, some of them were from churches, some of them weren't, some of them, had, you know, a lot of them weren't, but every single one of them had a seed of the gospel planted in their heart. And no matter what they try to do, they can't unplant it. It's there. Good luck. You've got the seed. It's stuck to you. It's in there. When you try and forget about it, it's still there. When you try and dig it up, it's still going to be there because you can't get rid of the seed. We are seed sowers. We get to sow the seeds of the gospel. People need Jesus. Our families need Jesus. And it's not just to know about him, but to come into a life-giving, freedom-bringing, restoring, intimate relationship with him. You guys remember our 15-second testimonies? Three people. Is it, do you guys know what I'm talking about? So we did, the, we did a, um, a course called Silence Breakers. I think Paul might have even, uh, Monica may have referenced these when they talked about evangelism. 15-second testimony. Simply, this is who I was. This is what Jesus did. This is who I am now. I was addicted, broken, and desperate. Jesus came and he set me free. He filled me with his love. Now I'm full of hope. I'm free. And I get to share that with others. 15 seconds. Who I was, what Jesus did who I am now. It's your testimony. Think about it. It can I mean, it could be, you know what? I grew up in church, but I, I knew about Jesus, but I didn't know him. And then I encountered his presence. He showed himself to me. And now I am full of life. I'm a carrier of his Holy Spirit, and he wants to fill you with life as well. 15-second testimony. Here's my challenge for you. Are you ready to share a 15 Share? I'm like, <laughs> Ugh. Where's Hugo? I'm like my 13-year-old son. Voice cracks galore in our house at the moment. Whew. Are you ready to share a 15-second testimony this Christmas? Are you always ready to share it? It's not just one. It's not like, what is your 15? You might have 85 gazillion 15-second testimonies. It can be anything that God's done. It can be something God did for you today. Because you know he does lots of stuff. I'm sure he's done lots of stuff in your life. It's whatever the Holy Spirit highlights for that person that you're talking to. I'm just feeling tired this Christmas. It's been hard. And not, not, to, not to be condescending, but you can bring this up and be like, you know what? I know how you felt. I was like at the end of my rope. I felt like I couldn't be any more tired. I wanted to give up. But, in his, uh, but Jesus came and in his presence he restored life. He gave me hope. 
And now actually, even though things are, are busy and the season is full on, actually I have a focus and a hope and Jesus is it. Would you like to encounter that hope right now? Around the Christmas table. At the family gatherings. People are desperate and we have the answer. Are we people who will give or are we people who only think about what we receive? Thirdly, what do we have to give? My treasure. The love of God, the gospel, and my treasure. What is your treasure? Your treasure is simply who you are. Your time, your talents, and your treasure are your resources. The things that you have. You know, we trade our time, we go to work, and we trade our time for money, for resources. God's given us talents. It's part of the makeup of who we are. So we have time. We have talents or gifts. Every one of us has it. Don't let the devil lie to you and say you have no talents. You do have a talent. Remember, you, you've already received. Like, new identity, new creation, the, the, the presence of God. If, if your only talent is that the Holy Spirit dwells in you, what better talent do you need? Maybe you're a thinker. Maybe you're good with numbers. Maybe you're great at remembering things. Maybe you get really obsessed about uh, a, a topic and you learn everything about that topic. Whatever, whatever. Use that talent. I think it is an indictment on our society that most of us know more about cooking than we know about the Bible. Who? We know more about how to, how to tear down and rebuild our car engines than we do about being a disciple. We know more about fashion labels and what you, where to find cheap clothing on Marketplace than we do about the Bible. Shots fired. Are we willing to give people our time? To stop for the one. To have a conversation with a difficult auntie or uncle on Christmas. If your family is really small, then it's hard to, like, get away from people. But if you have, like, a larger family with, like, you know, with multiple generations and lots of kids around, it's really easy to go find a room to hide in. Just, like, sleep on the couch and ignore everyone. And Bex is like, why would you ever do that? <laughs> Bex is our resident, like, super extrovert. So the idea of, like, going to hide is, like, is, like terror for her. Because she will try and find everyone. She will find you. Just so she's going to find you and have a conversation with you. But for some of us, after, you know, much people time and then much turkey and tryptophan hits the system and you get tired and you just want to find a quiet space to have a nap. So we get to Christmas, you have the lunch, and then we sleep, we go to sleep for a nap and we wake up a week later and go, oh, it's January, let's go back to work. Are you willing to have a conversation with somebody? I mean, are you willing to give somebody your time? Am I willing to use my talents to serve and help others? When we talk about what do we have to give, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's not just stuff. It's so much more than stuff. Because God's given us life. Will we give that to others? Am I willing to use my talents? It might be as simple as, I'm going to get myself in trouble. As offering to do the dishes on Christmas. I wrote that this morning and I was like, oh. God, no, please no. Anything but that. It might be that simple. It may be inviting somebody to your house. 
It may be volunteering at a food bank. It may be getting involved in a carol's night, like we did. Like, giving our time. You, if you got involved in the carol's night last night, you gave. It's more blessed to give than to receive. You gave your time, and some of you gave some of your talents so that people would meet Jesus. That's the point. And am I willing to give my resources? Am I willing to invest? This is just the simple statement. Am I willing to invest my treasure in that which is eternal? The amazing thing about the kingdom is God actually lets you do what you want with your resource. He could just take it. He's God. I mean, have you ever thought about this? Do you ever ask yourself those questions? Why does God give it to us and then ask us to give it to others? Why doesn't he just like, your paycheck hits your bank account, and he just goes, that's mine. Because he wants our hearts more than our money. And he wants to be able to release resource to us that we can use for the sake of eternal ramifications, for the sake of the kingdom. He wants partnership with us. What do we have to give? Finally, the gifts of the Spirit the manifestations of the Spirit. The gifts are manifestations of the Spirit. We're going to read 1 Corinthians 12. It talks about them. But the gifts or the manifestations of the Spirit aren't given to me for me. Sometimes they are, because we, we can receive, but mostly they're given to me for others. Some of you guys are going, is that heresy? No, no. In you and through you. That's the Bible. I'll show you because it's in the scripture. 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to read verse 4 to 11. It says, now there are a variety of gifts. So the word gifts actually isn't there. It's actually uh, more better translated manifestations. It's later in the scripture. They say that there's a variety of gifts or manifestations of the spirit, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each one is given the manifestation. See, it's the same word, manifestations of the Spirit. What does it say? For the common good. See, I wasn't just making it up. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. He gives it to you for the sake of of others for the common good. The Spirit shows himself to people through us. He manifests himself for the common good, for the good of others. What does it say? Words of wisdom, words of knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, deliverance, tongues, interpretations of tongues. Will you let the Spirit use you to reach those around you? If that's a question that you go, I, I don't know how to do that. I don't know what that looks like. Then you need to be discipled. Because literally, when Jesus discipled his, his disciples in the New Testament, he was showing them how to live and work this out. 
And if you might have been in church for 35 years, and you go, I don't know how to do that. You're talking about prophesying over people. I don't know how to do that. Then you need to be discipled into what it actually looks like to be a kingdom person who lives by the Spirit. Because that's what discipleship is. Any discipleship that doesn't result in us being more confident and able to minister in the power of the Spirit, that doesn't result in us living on mission, isn't the discipleship that Jesus taught us. It's a man's method to church structure or control rather than Jesus' method to the kingdom being advanced. The Spirit shows himself to people through us. Will you let the Holy Spirit use you to reach those around you? Are you even open to that this Christmas? Every one of us should have a hearty absolutely yes to that question because that's what it means to follow Jesus salvation is not just a a ticket to heaven we don't stop at the cross the cross is that open door we walk through the door and we live in the house it is so there's so much joy in living in the house of the presence of God there's so much joy in walking with him where you, where, where you can pray for the sick and expect that they're going to be healed. Where you can share the love of Jesus with somebody and suddenly their walls come down and they're crying on a soccer oval in the middle of barrack while carols are praying in the background. For, you don't know them for no other reason that God wants to encounter them. That's what it looks like to live by the Spirit. We, to be honest, if you are a believer, I know you want that. You just have, some of us have been taught that you should be scared of that or that that's for, not for today or that's for only for professional pastors and that's a lie from the devil that you need to break down. You've been told a lie. Are we Acts 751 people or Acts 4 people? You guys go, oh, what, what is that reference? I'll tell you, it's fine. Acts 751, one of the, uh, the hard scriptures in says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Oof. Take a breath. Or are we Acts 4.13? 4, now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they'd been with Jesus. Are we a people who when people see us, they recognize we've been with Jesus, that we're full of his presence? Or are we a people who are stiff-necked and resist the working of the Holy Spirit? What are you giving this Christmas? I'm not talking about natural things. I'm talking about in the Spirit. What are you giving this Christmas? Love. The love of Jesus, the gospel, your treasure, the manifestations of the Spirit. Do you have an expectation beyond the gifts that you may have bought and wrapped that are sitting under a tree or that you're going to bring to a meal? Do you have an expectation for more than that? That even as you give the natural gift, there's something of the presence of God that can go with that? Do you have an expectation that when you talk to people, whether it's in your Christmas gatherings or it's on the street or it's in the shops, when people are feeling frantic, that God wants to break into that situation and show them who he is? Do you have an expectation that God wants to bring supernatural peace into your chaotic family situation that you're going into? That actually you can be the one who changes the culture of your family? 
You don't have to let grumpy grandpa set the culture and, you know, just be angry and, and everyone's too scared to, to upset him. No, no, you can, t- you can be the culture setter. No, we're not going to do that. We're not going to get down on everyone this Christmas. We're going to bless each other. Why don't we just take a minute and just like say one thing that we love and appreciate about everyone. My mom used to do this. It used to freak me out. Like, I have two brothers, so there's three boys. And mom, I'm sure she wanted a girl. She wanted somebody she could talk to. And so as teenage boys, and I'm finding this now with my own son, that the, sometimes the response is, mm. that's like the, all the words they have left for the day. So mom used to, we used to sit at the, at the dinner table, and we would be like, three boys, you had to get the food as quick as you could, or else somebody else got it. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> and mom, mom would be like, okay, boys. How was your day? And be like, good, good, good. <laughs> She'd be like, okay, so, so just when we're done eating, before you leave the table, we're going to um, go around the table and you're going to say 10 things that we love or appreciate about each other. And you're like, and you had to say, I love you and I like you because, which for like teenage boys is like, it's very confronting. I appreciate that she made us do that now. I try to get my boys to do it, but it's like, I love you and I like you because you're really good at eating. <laughs> I love you and I like you because, I don't know, you're taller than I am. I love you. And she did it, like, every week we did this. So it was like, how many, t- how many things can you come up with? Like, if I wasn't that creative as a young man, now, you know, now we think on a deeper level. But, I mean, why not do something like that? I'm making fun of my mom because, you know, I was a teenage kid going, oh, whatever. But honestly, it does shift something. Because I still remember that. And I appreciate it. And actually, it gets a lot easier. Are you more focused on what you can get from Jesus or what you have to give? I'm finishing. It's a big heart shift. It's a hard question to ask. If you're honest with yourself, are you more focused on what you can get or what you haven't got than what you can give. If you're upset with God this morning because you haven't got what you want from him or what you think you're entitled to, would you make this heart shift today? Would you lay, whatever that thing is, would you lay it at his feet? Would you come and sit at his feet and ask him this question, what do you want me to give? It's more blessed to give than to receive. And I honestly believe that for some this morning, the blessing of God will be released by your giving out. Some of the things, some of the breakthrough, not just I want more stuff, but some of the breakthrough that you've been contending for, I honestly believe as I've been preparing and praying for this, will come in your giving. In your releasing will come the release. I prophesy that over you this morning. When you lay it down at his feet is actually when he'll release the very thing that you've been crying out for. Would you ask him today, what have you given me that I can give to others? Not when are you going to give me the thing that I'm contending for, but what have you already given me that I can give to others? Shift the narrative in your mind. Be renewed in your mind and allow him to shift your heart. See, a poverty mentality is not having less. 
It's always thinking about and focusing on what you don't have rather than thanking God for what you do have and using it for his glory. How do we break a, a poverty mentality where we always are focused on the lack and what we don't have yet and what we're still waiting to be released? We break that by saying, thank you, God, for what I do have, and I want to use it for your glory. It breaks something. It shifts something in our heart. Simple faith. Maturity in Christ is about giving. Let your light shine. Give Jesus. Give his presence. Give his love. Give his acceptance. Give his provision. Give his gifts. Give him. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If you have any questions or would like more information, please contact us at melbournelightschurch.com.au.